Hello, my name is Tom Longano, and this is Boy Stories. We have a great story for you today. It's called Charlie Gets in Trouble. I really like the character of Charlie. I've actually had a lot of feedback about him from different readers. Um, Some people who know a Charlie or some people who feel like they themselves are a Charlie or parents who think their son is a Charlie. And I think when we say a Charlie, we think about, um, I don't know, a sweet, caring boy who clearly is a little bit worried about getting in trouble. And I think that there are different types of boys in elementary school. Some of them love getting in trouble or want to push the envelope or see what they can do and see what the teacher does to them. But then there are the other ones that really like towing the line and they really don't like it when their teacher gets mad at them because they want to be, you know, a good boy, a good example, and they want to really grow and learn from school. And I think that is entirely commendable. That is great. Um, I've actually had some comments that people say, maybe boys should be better behaved in your stories. Unfortunately, really well-behaved boys don't make for really great stories, in my experience. I don't know. You can disagree with me if you like. But Charlie is a very unique character. He doesn't want to get in trouble, but he also wants to help out his friends. And I'm going to ask him about some of these things later on after the story. But right now, let's get into it. Here is Charlie Gets in Trouble. Charlie stood next to Mr. L's desk, patiently waiting as Mr. L arranged his papers and marked where the class had left off. Mr. L noticed him and looked up. Yes, Charlie? Hi, sir. I was wondering, since I have an important baseball practice on Thursday, could I have the homework now ahead of time? That way I can make sure I get it done. Charlie, today is Monday. I don't know what the homework for Thursday will be. It's okay, sir, said Charlie politely. I can wait. Mr. L watched him as he stood quietly beside the desk. Charlie, he said, why don't you go outside to play? It's break. Yes, sir, but I need the homework for... Charlie? Yes, sir? Go outside. I'll give you the homework later. Okay, sir. The tone of Mr. L's voice made it clear that he was not inclined to negotiate. Charlie grabbed a book from his desk and positioned himself right outside the classroom door. This way, if Mr. L suddenly thought of what Thursday's homework was, he would know where to find him. Other boys ran past in groups of twos and threes, and there was a kickball game going on on the field. Charlie! Psst! Charlie! Charlie! Come here! Charlie looked up to see Jake poking his head around the corner of the building. Experience of Jake taught him that when Jake was poking his head around the corner of anything, Charlie should not be involved. Oh no, that's all right, he said. I'm reading. Get over here, now. Charlie looked around him. There was no one else. He even glanced back into the classroom. Mr. L was still on the phone. I really shouldn't, he began, when Jake darted forward and yanked him back around the building with him. You're filthy, cried Charlie. Shh, listen up. I have a job for you. No, thank you. Charlie tried to leave, but Jake held his shoulder. From the waist down, Jake was covered in wet mud, so thick Charlie couldn't even see his pants or shoes. Charlie, it's not just me. Jake's tone of voice changed. It's almost our whole class, and we're desperate. You're the only one who can help. Charlie was not a bad boy. He had a chronic fear of getting in trouble, but he did have more than the usual store of love for his common man. 
Something in Jake's eyes convinced him that his classmate, however naughty, was indeed telling the truth. Okay, he said with hesitation. Tell me what you need, and I'll see if I can do it. Great, follow me. Jake led the way along the outskirts of the field to a portion of the recess lot called The Woods. A sloped hill surrounded the field, and here, in the back corner of the lot, it was covered with a fairly dense thicket of trees. The boys were forbidden to play within these trees, where teachers watching recess could not see them. But this rule was hardly ever enforced, and so went completely ignored. Still, Charlie hesitated. We aren't supposed to go in the woods, he said. No one's looking. It's fine, said Jake, pushing him forward. Charlie, to his own surprise, allowed himself to be pushed. Maybe it was Jake's attitude or his abnormal dirtiness, but whatever it was, Charlie could not help but feel curious. Jake led him toward a small opening between two trunks where two fifth graders stepped out to block them nodding suspiciously at Charlie. Jake announced that Charlie was with him, and though still frowning, the fifth graders moved aside. Jake moved on through the trunks, and Charlie followed into a wall of thick pine branches. These he pushed out of the way and then froze. Beneath his feet was an enormous pit. It stretched at least 20 feet deep, though it was difficult to tell exactly due to networks of exposed roots and crowds of industrious fifth graders who worked at the walls with pickaxes and shovels. The bottom was obscured by a seething floor of mushy mud. Standing in the mud so far down that Charlie could just make out their heads and shoulders, a pack of fifth graders from Charlie's class yelled and furiously tried to bail out standing water. So here's the situation, Jake explained. For the last couple weeks, we've been trying to dig a hole to China. It was difficult breaking ground with all the tree roots, but we've made good progress, as you can see. Unfortunately, earlier today we hit a thick metal object that Greg insisted must be buried treasure. Leo said that if it was, it definitely belonged to some, some you know, long-lost Chinese emperor, probably worth millions. So we attacked it with the shovels, but where did you get the shovels? said Charlie, his voice small, from home. Amazing what fits in a backpack when no one's checking. So we attacked it with the shovels, but it turns out it wasn't treasure. It was a water pipe. Started just spraying everywhere. Now Timmy's jams his thumb in the crack to stop the flow. And everyone's doing their best to bail out, but who knows what'll happen when we have to get back to class. Charlie could just see Timmy crouched over something metal at the bottom of the pit. His thumb? Yeah, see, that's where you come in. We need... Oh, it's Charlie! cried a voice from somewhere below. A cheer rang out from the pit as the fifth graders paused their labor to wave. Thanks, Charlie! We knew we could count on you! Yeah, Charlie! Charlie! I'm not involved in this, Charlie tried to say, but Jake interrupted. We need you to get Mr. L's roll of duct tape. Duct tape? We have to patch the pipe and block the water. With duct tape? I'm sorry. Do you have a better idea? Charlie did not, nor did he want anything to do with this excavation. I can't, he said. I can't help you. Sorry. No, no can do. I got to go back and read my book, and I got to get my homework for Thursday. Charlie, Charlie, Charlie. Jake shook his head. You don't understand, do you? This whole thing's going to blow up. Bl blow up? Not literally. That was a different voice. Charlie turned to see Leo climbing out of the hole, similarly covered in mud from the waist down. You've told him the situation, Jake? He knows what he has to do. 
said Jake. Sorry, but I'm not doing anything, Charlie insisted. You guys are crazy. You're all going to get in so much trouble. More trouble than you could ever even imagine, said Leo softly. Charlie's eyes went wide. There was a quiet threat in those words. Well, you shouldn't have dug the hole. It's against the rules, he stammered. This goes beyond rules, said Leo. You think that pipe's connected to nothing? No way. Timmy takes his thumb out of the crack, and in 15 minutes, half the neighborhood behind the school is out of water. It, is that how it works? And then come the floods. We're talking thousands of dollars in damages, said Leo. Maybe even millions. This, this has nothing to do with me, said Charlie quickly, turning to run, but Jake held on to him. No, let him go, Jake, Leo said casually, because Charlie, when word gets out about what happened here, they're going to want names, and they'll get them. They'll get the names of every single boy involved. Everyone. Charlie looked around him in horror. Some of the fifth graders who had paused work to wave were still looking up. Some still called out, Yay, Charlie! and expressed how grateful they were for his help. He glanced back to Leo. He could barely speak. He was breathing so hard. So much trouble. Not if word never gets out, Leo corrected him. But how? Duct tape, said Jake. Three minutes later, Charlie was shivering outside the classroom door. Mr. L was still inside on his phone. Leo and Jake had assured Charlie that he was the perfect operative for the job. He wasn't muddy, and he was the least suspicious person in their whole class. All he had to do was ask Mr. L an innocent question, and when he wasn't looking, steal the duct tape right off his desk. I refuse to steal, Charlie had said, retaining any scrap of honor he could. But you won't be stealing, Jake argued, just borrowing. Borrowing without permission is stealing, Charlie said. Not if you give it back, Jake replied. Charlie did not agree with this logic, but desperate times called for desperate measures. If Jake was correct, he could take the duct tape then replace it at the end of break without Mr. L even noticing. This was a long shot, and he couldn't imagine what might happen if he were caught, but whatever it was would be better than what would happen if the duct tape never found its way into the right hands. He edged the door open. Mr. L held up a finger to say he was busy as he continued talking on the phone. Charlie inched toward the desk. By some marvelous stroke of luck, Mr. L had used the duct tape that morning to repair the binding on Albert's math book. It had been replaced in the drawer and now sat on the corner of the desk. Charlie reached this corner and then stood, trembling, waiting for Mr. L to finish. Mr. L gave him a look as if to say he should go back out to break. Charlie shook his head no. Mr. L covered the phone with one hand and turned. Charlie... What is it? Can't you see I'm busy? Please, sir, I need the homework for Thursday now. No, you do not. And my patience is about up with you. If you don't get outside and play, I will triple your homework for tonight and every other day of the week. Mr. L swiveled back around and Charlie wasted no time running out of the classroom. Mr. L had snapped at him. He had gotten in minor trouble. He felt terrible. But the duct tape was in his hand. A cry of triumph came from around the corner of the building. Charlie deposited the stolen goods in Jake's outstretched hand, then watched him run toward the woods. Not knowing what else to do, Charlie followed. By the time Charlie arrived at the edge of the pit, Jake was already deep in the mud with the crowd. Timmy lifted both his hands, and there was a pause. 
followed by an enormous cheer. Apparently, the duct tape worked. In the desperate scramble that followed, Charlie only picked out bits of what went on, but it appeared that the fifth graders were furiously refilling the hole with heaps of dirt that had been piled up on either side, as Leo shouted orders from above. Charlie stepped away from the chaos of flying dirt and flailing shovels. Then, loud and clear, he heard Porge at his side. Brakes being called! Back to class! Two-minute warning! There was a massive stampede as the fifth graders buried their shovels and emerged from the hole, which Charlie was amazed to see had almost been halfway refilled, then gathered at the edge of the wood to walk out in pairs of two so as not to arouse suspicion. Leo instructed those waiting to scrape themselves on the trunks of nearby trees and roll around in the grass and pine needles to clean off the worst of the dirt. The scene reminded Charlie of one he saw recently in a black-and-white war movie before his mother had made him go to bed because of the violence. He quickly ducked out and rushed back to class. Mr. L was waiting outside the classroom. He locked eyes with Charlie and beckoned him over. Charlie's entire stomach sank to his shoes. He felt his face grow hot. Mr. L did not look happy. Charlie, he said when Charlie was in front of him, I have a question for you. Yes, sir, Charlie mumbled. Where is the duct tape that was on my desk? Charlie looked frantically around. Fifth graders were lining up, straggling in from the field, happily chatting and jostling as if nothing had gone wrong. Look at me, Charlie, Mr. L said. I want to know where the duct tape went. When I was at my desk earlier, it was there. Then somehow, after you came and asked that question about homework, it was gone. Charlie stammered. Look at me, Mr. L repeated slowly. Where is the duct tape? Charlie began to cave. His lower lip trembled. It was too much. Then he burst out, I'm sorry, Mr. L, it's not my fault, but I took... The rest of Charlie's answer was lost in a shrill scream from the back of the line. Mr. L darted over to find Porge crumpled on the ground, clutching his ankle, screaming about pain. A quick survey of the wound determined there was nothing wrong. Porge insisted he'd twisted it, and it hurt like hundreds of prickly needles every time he stepped on it. But Mr. L said that with a bit of walking around, it would be fine. Amazingly, it was fine. Porge happily thanked Mr. L, who sighed and returned to Charlie, just as Jake was slipping unnoticed out of the classroom. I'll deal with you later, Charlie, Mr. L said. Now we have to start class. Uh, come in, and he stopped at the door. There, next to the desk where it had clearly been knocked to the floor, was the duct tape. Mr. L felt a surge of remorse. I'm so sorry, Charlie, he said as he welcomed Charlie into the classroom. I must have knocked the duct tape on the floor myself, and I shouldn't have accused you of it. Uh, no, sir, that's fine. And look at you, you're covered in dirt. You ended up having a fun break after all. Mr. L beamed. I'm proud of you, Charlie. Don't worry, I'll get that Thursday homework to you after class. I promise. Charlie forgot to stay after class to get the Thursday homework. Mr. L had said that everyone was so well behaved that day that as a reward, there would be no homework that night. Everyone left eagerly and excited for the afternoon, chattering about what they would do with all their newfound free time. And with a slow, pensive step, Charlie followed. He had a headache and desperately needed a nap.
right, so I have Charlie here today, and I just want to say right now, I want to say something. Okay, Charlie. Yeah, I mean, I was going to interview you, but if you want to get out there and say something before we start, then sure, say something to the podcast uh, and everyone listening. Okay, I should not have taken the duct tape. I understand it was helpful to my friends, but I should not have taken the duct tape, and I still feel bad about it. Okay, uh, I'm sorry to hear that. I think that it's the sort of moral complexity of what we're talking about here. There is no complexity. It is black and white, and I was wrong. I was very wrong. But it kind of ended up okay. Is that what you want to teach the people who are listening to this? That it just ends up okay if you steal from a teacher? I know I don't think people should steal from teachers. I don't want my example to inspire other people to do terrible things. I wouldn't call it a terrible thing. It was a terrible thing. And sometimes I still think about it. And it does not make me happy. I am very sorry it doesn't make you happy. Uh, I think maybe you should think about or maybe talk to someone about the fact that you're still thinking about this. Um, but hey, it made your friends happy, right? I mean, you were able to plug up the water pipe. It was a very traumatic day. It did sound like a very traumatic day for you and for, you know, for everyone involved. Yes, it was. Okay. Well, I, we've got that out of the way. We don't condone Charlie's behavior in this story. Not at all. Okay, if I could take it back, I would take it all back. You would take it all back, yes. Is there anything else you wanted to say about the story before I interview you? Yes. I had to do my homework after baseball practice, and I think, although I didn't get any problems wrong, I think I might have gotten one problem wrong if because I was so tired, and I just want to say, because but I didn't, I think I got lucky that I didn't. I want everyone to know you should not save your homework until after practice. You should do it before. You should plan ahead of time. And that is the way to do your homework, even if you have baseball practice. Okay. Well, uh, thank you for that very good advice, Charlie. I wonder if we can move on with the interview now. I haven't had a chance to have you on the podcast before, so I just wanted to get some of your takes about, you know, what do you think about the Blue Book of Stories? What do I think about the book? Yeah, what do you think about the book? I mean, you're someone who reads a lot. Yes, I do. I read a lot of books. I really like books. So from all the books you've read for your great reading experience, where does the Blue Book of Stories factor in um, some of your favorite books? It doesn't. It doesn't what? Oh, it, it doesn't factor in my favorite books. It's not really on the list of my favorites. Oh, so you think it's not the best? Well, I would classify it as somewhat mediocre. Oh, mediocre. You know, I wrote I wrote the books. It's a little bit, uh, I wouldn't say offensive because I like criticism, but it's interesting to hear that you found it mediocre. Yeah, one of the reasons... I think it's not as good as it could have been um, with all due respect, sir, is the characters in the book are not very well behaved. That's true. They do um, sometimes 
do things that boys shouldn't be doing and they lie well they sort of i mean they tell stories and that's maybe not the bet they argue they call each other names well charlie does that happen at your school at all all the time okay well if it happens at your school and i'm writing a story about boys at school don't you think it would make sense that it actually features in the story too yes i realize that but i have to deal with that Every single day at school, I have to deal with that. Every day. And when I read a book, I don't want to have to deal with the things that I deal with every day. You know, Charlie, that kind of makes sense. It does. I want to read about dragons. I want to read about spies. I want to read about cool, exciting stories. Or if I want to read something a little bit more substantive, then I'll read some interesting psychological survey of the modern mind. Oh, you, you read that? Yes. I love existentialism. That is probably my favorite genre currently. Oh, um, are there any particular authors that Camus is very riveting? Um, Sartre, am I pronouncing that correctly? I wouldn't know. He is interesting. I think the evolution of thought, especially for the French philosophers and existentialists, has been a... You know, Charlie, we're going to... I think we're kind of losing our target audience here. Why don't we get back to the blue book of stories um, and kind of think about, you know, so maybe it's not existentialist. Maybe it's a little bit too close to home for you. Were there any parts about it that you did like? Yes. I liked when the boys got in trouble for their actions. Oh, so you like when they had like consequences and stuff. Yes. Like, for example, Albert getting spanked. I appreciated that. Okay. You liked Albert getting spanked. Um, anything else? Um, let's see. I liked, well, I do have to commend you on your use of vocabulary, Mr. Tom. You have an extensive vocabulary. Oh, thank you, Charlie. That means a lot, coming from a fifth grader who has read a lot of good books. Yes, your vocabulary is good. Um, the allusions to the British short story tradition were not lost on me. I know that. You actually wrote that in your blurb. I was very impressed. So, like, you probably have read the likes of, I don't know, Saki. There is, you just steal from Saki. You steal from him. And if he was still alive, he should probably sue you. Uh, I mean, I think, well, you know, T.S. Eliot said something. I think it was T.S. Eliot about how um, a good artist uh, mimics, but a great artist steals. I'm probably, I'm paraphrasing. You are paraphrasing. That's not the exact quote. Okay. I am paraphrasing, but do you see what I'm saying is that like actually like taking from other great works of literature and putting them in, in your own is the sign of, of a great artist. Are you saying you're a great artist? No. Well, I wouldn't go that far. Yeah, I wouldn't go that far either because I've read a lot of great books, Mr. Tom. And let's be frank here. We don't need to be frank. Uh, you've been pretty frank already. Thank you, Charlie. You're welcome. I think someone needs to be honest. You know, someone really needs to be honest about these things. I agree. Honesty always isn't the easiest thing to hear, but it's good. Yeah. Let's hope the next one's better. Oh, so you're excited for Red Book. You know, there's a there's a Charlie story in Red Book. Is there? Yeah, there is. Oh. Wow. Charlie, you uh, you got a little smile on your face right now. Maybe you like the Blue Book a little bit more than you're letting on. No. No, I think it's it's infantile. 
sometimes. Yeah, but maybe you thought it was a little bit funny. Sometimes. Some oh, sometimes. And maybe you thought it was cool that you were you were in the book. Well, I wasn't represented correctly. Uh, and I, I didn't like the actions that I did in the book. Yeah, but you liked that you were in the book? Sometimes. Good. You know, I'm really glad that we've that we've come to this conclusion and, and we're being honest. So what's the new story about? What's the new Charlie story? Uh, I can't really reveal that right now. Actually, you know what? I'll tell you the title. It is Charlie and the Lunch Bunch. The Lunch Bunch? Oh, so you know what it's about. Yes, I know what it's about. Okay, well, don't say anything else. Um, I actually wrote this about a lunch bunch that Charlie was in for a book uh, that we all know. It's called Charlotte's Web. <sighs> okay, Charlie, don't, you know, this is bringing up bad memories. I don't want to read that story. Charlie, it's okay. It's a uh, very fair presentation of what happened at the lunch bunch and I can I go home now yes Charlie you can go home now wow this has been a disaster of an interview I am sorry for everyone who's listening I am sorry for anyone who had to read those stupid stories okay Charlie they're not stupid they're just silly stupid is mean silly isn't as mean I want to go home yes you should probably go home but hey honestly Charlie thank you for coming I do appreciate that you came okay Thank you for coming into my podcast. Thank you for being a good sport about this. You're welcome. And you know what? You're actually not that bad of a writer. Thank you, Charlie. This has been a Boy Stories podcast production performed by Tom Longano, author of The Blue Book of Stories. The Blue Book of Stories is available now on Amazon. It's also available on TomLongano.com. The podcast has been produced by the legendary George Martin. And please, if you like the podcast, subscribe. Tell us what you think in the comments and reviews. Please send us an email. You can find all our contact information on TomLongano.com. If you have a question or a comment for any of the characters, send it to us, and you might just get featured in one of the next interviews. But thank you so much for listening. Again, share with your friends. And please continue to listen. This has been so much fun for us. We hope it is just as much fun for you. Have a great day.